0: Batman, what's up? News was forced to get off of home base. We thought it was too dangerous. They said too many people are getting hurt. There were ten people that were taken off site. A lot of people have been talking about these fires, but it was so much more than that.
1: Podcast ninety nine. All right, it's that time again. More podcast ninety nine. I'm Ryan Lichten here with Parks Miller. Uh. Boy, we just flew in from Woodstock '99, and uh, boy, is my humanity tired. That was a terrible oh, yeah. joke. That was not yeah. a good way to start. Not as good as I thought.
2: It's fine. Uh, <laughs> we're. It's a fine way to start. We just gotta get it over with. <laughs> uh, two it's... years plus. Uh, my parents were like, "Wow, you, you, I'm surprised you're still doing it." You know, but. Yeah, me too. Here, <laughs> um this I is is this too. the last one for real this is
1: not the last one no we know we're gonna this, this is the right, last kind of about it yeah this is like well and it'll never be the last one you know there's always gonna mm. be fucking something else or like someone like we'll finally get the email from fred durst or something right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean like what? yeah if
2: that happens we gotta crack it right back open Yes, so. e-
1: exactly. It's a you and, know it's an open door policy here with Podcast ninety nine. We are really excited for our new show that we've we've been getting ready for. I've been gathering all sorts of new research materials and and such, and and that's been fun. But uh, the, again, you know, we always seem to find something else about Woodstock ninety nine that is just so fucking mind-blowing and now we're yeah 41 episodes in this is kind of the last episode that we're doing that's kind of part of the official lineage i would say um, we're going to be talking about the media backlash and fallout afterwards and kind of the damage control that was done so there's going to be tons and tons of quotes from people that played and were involved that we're going to be going through uh, we also have some uh, interesting fun factoids but after this, I think for our final episode, you know, this whole series, we've been talking about best and worst dressed and best in show and worst and all, all that stuff. So we're probably going to do like some kind of Woodstock 99 awards show. Oh, yeah. Ca- kind of mm-hmm. deal. And then give our, our Jerry Springer final thoughts, you know, on the uh, on the whole deal.
2: Right. Because I remember I remember way back when when you were talking, you were gushing about the singer of Oleander because yeah. that popped back up, I think, in a text oh, or something. Yeah yeah and yeah. i was like damn oleander and i was like well, i'm having an, a like flashback moment but that shouldn't even be happening because we literally talked an hour about that band like a year ago but right. here i am being like yeah remember that oleander and then i just remembered you had the you really liked the way he was dressed
1: i well I, okay i still thought that, i still it was think was really on. funny <laughs> it <laughs> oh it was early on, on that's not fest. a good excuse it was early in the fest. Actually, dude, no, I had an epiphany the, the other night. Uh, and, and, you know, the reason why we bring up Oleander is because, uh, you know, who we started this show with, our, our, our buddy Josh, he found an Oleander CD and was like, dudes, check it out. And uh, I was just wondering if it still slaps, you know, like, like it used to. But I somehow the other night I'm up late and I'm just letting YouTube play. I'm fucking around on my phone or whatever. And the Bush set comes on because my YouTube – Fucking suggested ruined. views is it's only just Woodstock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and so it's, it starts playing Bush. And I got to say, man, like, it was better than I remember. Oh, that, no. this That's is, all I'll say about now it. Now
2: this is, we're already like revisionist of our own assessment of Woodstock <laughs> no, 99. No, like, it, you know,
1: I, maybe we were a little
2: mean to Bush.
1: <laughs> well, we were a little really mean to a lot we were, of fucking bands. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, again, that's maybe the way that just, we get through it.
2: Maybe you've just seen it so much that you can't, you can no longer distinguish what's good or bad anymore.
1: Right, like there's like, just
2: something familiar to you about it. So you probably have a positive connotation by watching Bush's set. Yeah. Nothing can <laughs> surprise you. And you've also, it's like you've burnt your taste buds out. You, nothing, right. you, you have to question anything you like from here on out. D- that's absolutely
1: true oh my god and that reigns so true in the new show Culture Dumps too because it's like <laughs> why am i reading my third book about beanie babies right now yeah like you <laughs> know what I mean? it's it's really skews but no it, it was it wasn't as as truly bad as i remember but i still stand mm-hmm. by everything i say uh but no bush it, it was like i was like you know what this was a good headlining act for the first day like this makes sense but also it was like five in the morning so you know just take it t- take it you're, for what it, you're
2: it, thinking differently.
1: Ex- the, ex- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> ex- he might exactly. have the best
2: uh best dressed no shirt. He you know, he yeah? looked like a a sweet uh, Olympic candidate of some sort, just a a golden boy.
1: Yeah, so. no, yeah, yeah, he 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 was like a specimen. He looked like someone like remember in like uh in Dune how Sting played like the bad boy? Prince I,
2: I've seen like the yeah I haven't actually watched that movie like, yet, but I'm very familiar with sting in it yeah
1: okay yeah I feel like Gavin Rosdale could be like like in sci-fi movies oh uh, like, yeah yeah you know it's got like a super <laughs> super alien kind of deal but anyways so yeah this episode is all about the media coverage post Woodstock as well as its lasting legacy in the memory of those involved and those who watched it all unfold but before we get into that We've talked a lot about how in between the acts during the downtime, they would, you know, sometimes play music through the speakers or what have you. And a lot of the times they would have a celebrity guest come up and do like a little thing or come up and introduce a band or or something along those lines. And that's that footage is kind of hard to find because a lot of the full sets that we find on YouTube and such are just the set. But as time goes on, more and more of these clips are popping up and we found out that The now very famous talk show host, uh, SNL alumni Jimmy Fallon, was actually at Woodstock '99 and performed on stage on the main stage in between some bands, and he actually said he went to '94 too, but just as a guy.
2: It's that's crazy, and I mean, how did you find this? Because this is very out there. I was, I was. Yeah, That's your YouTube feed. Now it's working for you, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's crazy. Because how would you otherwise... Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that we haven't even seen about that or anything up until this point. Never even read about it. Nothing. I mean, we
1: knew that Andy Dick played on on the West stage, uh, and and that was very poorly uh, received. But... With Jimmy Fallon, I mean, yeah, you think that that would have come up in some kind of 90s throwback BuzzFeed countdown or something. And right. just, nope, it n- 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 never occurred. And, yeah, he said he went yeah. to Woodstock 94, and then he pulls out a guitar. And, you know, remember, right around that time, Jimmy Fallon had an album that came out, too, like where he had that song, Idiot Boyfriend, and, and all that stuff. So it might have been I a couple years later. <laughs> you remember that? But uh, he, I, you I, can't, know.
2: I, I don't know what Jimmy Fallon was doing in 1999.
1: Okay, well... I
2: mean, was he on SNL at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how how he was brought out. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think he was kind of like a fresh face still. Like, he wasn't, you know talk show material ju- just yet he's wearing right. baggy jeans uh-huh. and, and such and yeah he does like a kind of medley of parodies of a lot of the acts that we're playing and I'm pretty right. sure that it's either happening right before or right after Dave Matthews so that's on Saturday and uh but the reason why I think that is because I-, I was watching the roadies and I was like okay what are they loading in and I see like a whole push cart full of mandolins and I was like oh yeah, yeah <laughs> like no like duh and and, and then, but then besides that a guy does push uh, like a gear crate that says Dave Matthews Band on it, so that that's oh, kind of we'll how I knew. Though. But I don't know if they're loading in or out. But the mandolins was a dead giveaway, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, actually, I found out that um the the fiddle player for Dave Matthews, the one that we said you know ran into a little little legal trouble, he mm-hmm. uh, he has a cameo, and I was thinking about getting one from him, but I was like, eh, that's not really a good luck, and we already got the best one ever from LeJon. yeah, so yeah it's but yeah cool. we're actually gonna play a little clip of this jimmy fallon thing i, I, I think he's doing an atlantis song like
2: there's definitely an atlantis and at one point i can't i can't name all the songs he was doing
1: right well we're just gonna pick the one where he talks about getting really high yeah i
0: just had a
1: classic you know people are laughing it's not like when umbilical brothers came him up there and people are like what the fuck is this shit yeah i mean it might be the most sample. successful
2: comedic bit i mean of the few we've seen yeah I mean, it, also no, that definitely. that was another thing that was pretty big you had like adam sandler made a an album and so the kind of the schleppy white guy with the the with acoustic the guitar. guitar you know tenacious d would come up a few years later so yeah, that who there was kind arguably of room do it for that. the best, I think. They do it the best, yeah. But, but you know, I wasn't... We, we were saying that we both kind of guiltily laughed at the little bit that he did. And maybe that's just more Woodstock brainwash of us.
1: Yeah. That,
2: that just, <laughs> he oh, he, he, made, he made jokes about Woodstock. Ho we're going to like he's it. Yeah,
1: too high. Yeah, he probably had a good time, <laughs> though. You know, it, it, he seemed pretty stoked to be there. He also seemed very well hydrated. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's getting very hot as outside now. Has anyone has now.
2: backstage as- access? It's. Right. Yes. So. Of,
1: of course. One thing about doing this show is it makes me thirsty as fuck because all we talk about is water. It's mm-hmm. like and, and being yeah. hot and now that it's hot out and my yard is kind of dead and it's like all dirt and stuff. I just it just is filling my brain with all these Woodstock '99 vibes. Yeah. Well, I mean, me imagine if you water. couldn't
2: just go run inside and like get some water, you know.
1: No you could not. So another no. thing that we found out was that Corn uh, and ICP who both played on the first day they actually had backstage beef and they've you know Jonathan Davis and Violent J. They've both been interviewed about this separately, and their stories are kind of similar. Uh, you know Jonathan Davis said he had no idea why ICP didn't like them, as he himself was a fan of them and thought that what they were doing was kind of cool—the Killer Clown deal. You know because Jonathan Davis got it; he, <laughs> he saw through the uh, the negative hype and saw the real concept. But mm-hmm. Violent J says mm-hmm. that they actually loved Corn too, and the only confusion came from a diss lyric that they said about Corn on one of their songs. And when they actually met them in person, they apologized. But it really was just, you know, they're ICP, they're fucking punks, you know what I mean? They're just like assholes and they're going to, you know, rip on everyone, you know, even themselves. So their lyric, uh, if you guys remember, Korn played a song during their set, uh, which is called Faggot, spelt with one T as opposed to two T. So it's kind of not the real word, but it absolutely is. And... What the ICP lyric is is they quote that uh, they, they quote that song where it says I'm just a faggot and then it says yeah they call you that because you act like a bitch everybody jumps to the Juggalo sound fuck out of here fuck out of here and, that, and I'm that's i sure the that, lyric <laughs> and it's really I'm harsh, sure actually. that
2: that rhymes at some point later yeah. on there's a rhyme there there's no rhyme in the verse you said no. but <laughs> I bet that they I bet their delivery was really good and it was We're, and you know but.
1: Well, also, um, you know that song, that corn song, is so serious, and it's about, mm-hmm. you know, like extreme bullying and being suicidal, and I'm gonna, you know, if I'm being called this in in high school, I'm this forever, and it's this really kind of pity, self-loathing deal, and like ICP is just like, yeah, you little bitch. Yeah, they're kind <laughs> of
2: being the bullies that. He's yeah, exactly. About. Yeah,
1: but apparently it was all in good fun, and there's no beef now. So that's a fun little tidbit. There might've been some tension, although ICP was on the West stage and corn was on the East stage hours apart from each other. And those stages are a mile apart. So they probably didn't even run into each other there, you know? Uh, So whatever. But anyways, uh, the biggest thing that I found out recently was that there was a courthouse on the grounds of Woodstock 99, a functional courthouse. And Basically, it was just outside the gate by the east stage in what used to be a fuel management building. The Honorable Judge Anthony Garmoni sat in as the judge for several trials that took place at Woodstock. Most of the charges brought against people on the grounds of Woodstock 99 were dropped or never even filed. However, for crimes too large to ignore, where the accused was actually captured, the judge would hear the case. So there's like you know like dan 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 Woodstock court. Yeah, like that's what I'm picturing, and it's just like some like sunburnt, like fried dude with like a puka shell necklace, like standing yeah. before the judge.
2: <laughs> it was crazy because, like, like I told you in the our Patreon episode at the gathering at the Juggalos, there was there was the Juggalo justice. There was a court there that kind of right. resembled, a, I don't know, a Mark Twain story, a turn of the century <laughs> thing. And I mean, the worst crime you could commit at Juggalo justice was not being a good enough homie to one another.
1: And that's a uh, huge crime, though.
2: Yeah, so if you say you're going to hang out with your friend, you better do it, or you could literally get tarred and feathered.
1: Yeah, or you face the judge. Well, we're talking about things a little bit more intense than not being a good enough homie. Uh, one of the trials involved <laughs> a 24-year-old man named Mark Schachter who was caught Saturday night destroying an ATM. Now, by Saturday, Judge Garamone had handled 18 cases and was surprised by how few arrests there actually were. But by Sunday afternoon, the number would almost double. So it's just like a landslide Saturday night. And it's because of the eye of the storm. That's kind of when everything happens, that three... Band Slaughterhouse, Limp Bizkit, Rage, and Metallica. Everything starts going crazy after that. Um, Not necessarily because of the music, but everything was just mounting up, and it just so happened to be break stuff time.
2: But now, how how did this happen? Because I can't imagine that this judge volunteered for this gig, right? Like I I kind of imagine judges being uh, somewhat pampered. You know, they you know they have a pretty high esteem in our society, and it seems like they would kind of. Be like, oh, I, I want to try and do it my way as much as possible. Or at least have my own seat that I like in the air-conditioned courthouse or whatever I like. So yeah. who, how did this guy get stuck here in Woodstock? And then you're, it seems like you have to rapid fire, even faster than normal, be dealing with cases. Right. And, like and, and again, he was
1: just he was just riding off a lot of them. Like, if they caught someone wasted leaving like on the grounds or if someone like pulled up or was driving through the parking lot and they were shit-faced, which kept happening, uh, duh. But... Like he would just kind of give him a ticket. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't really yeah. put like sending people to, to jail or, or prison, yeah. except in these rare cases where it was so intense, uh, for instance. And, and like and the reason why he was there, I'm pretty sure he just got appointed for the weekend. But also maybe he was like, dude, fuck it. You need a, someone to sit in at that Woodstock 99 courthouse. I'll fucking go to Woodstock 99. No way. There's no way he
2: wanted to do it. But that's just my. <laughs> I know. <opinion. laughs> know. Like, it's the acts. You and, uh, uh, the I, I got to punish the I got this. Attending.
1: Right. Well, I, I got this info from the Rome Sentinel newspaper, which has been, you know, our one of our main go-tos for, for research, and he's his interview is just like, oh, God, yeah, this guy's fucking breaking into ATM and his drunk people is get out like he's just so over it but yeah. there was you know breaking into atm is pretty serious another really serious one was a 26 year old man named Byron Stacy was caught holding up a concert goer outside of a portageon with a knife and made off with a grand total of $20 Uh, Also, there was two young boys in a stolen car that got busted. They were trying to steal a car, I believe, from the parking lot. And a man who was unnamed in the paper was caught assaulting a woman in her tent. Those are the crimes that would put you before a judge in the fuel management building of Griffiths Air Force Base during Woodstock 99 and have you sent to jail. And yeah, it's just fascinating that like there's it really was its own working, fully functional city.
2: Fully functional is up to debate, but right. it was, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm also very curious about things like that. Just these little bits where it's completely off the beaten path, but there's still, I mean, just what kind of conversations went down? And yeah. What other hilarious, like if there was just some video of that, how funny that would be. Like you said, again, the image dude, I would watch that like completely show completely just burnt out guy, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> being before a judge.
1: Yeah, at like, exactly. And, yeah, and, and like then you get a ticket, a, and, and it's you just still a go tank. to the rave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm guessing that guy wasn't there 24 hours, like on call. I'm sure that the, like, you know, during the rave, they're just like, fuck it, like just let so all, all that. Say, shit So let's go. say like
2: Friday night, you know, it's like two in the morning, and you get, you know, you get a ticket or arrested, and then like you have to, like, well, your court appearance is uh, Saturday morning at seven. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> good. I'm not going to miss any wake up playing. again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, fuck it. So a brief rundown of day three, you know, we, we saw a lot of really kind of mellower acts. It really seemed like they were trying to tone it down. You know, it started with, you know, Mike Ness and then you had, you know, Elvis Costello and Jewel and a, a, a lot of softer things, of course, ending with Red Hot Chili Peppers, which which got a little gnarly. But you know, I think the the gnarliest pocket on the third day was the Wild Wild West stage deal, where it was Seven Dust, Collective Soul, and Godsmack. But even then, wasn't really that crazy you could really feel the exhaustion that everyone was experiencing during this people are tired they're too hot the place is completely uninhabitable it's it's completely tore up with mud and shit and flooded toilets and no water and you know beer is cheaper than water and everyone's just been getting fucked up for three days and it's really starting to take its toll and it's Sunday is just a gloomy day in general. The sky, it's kind of overcast for a lot of it. And it's just a shitty, shitty, shitty day. And it ended, of course, in absolute chaos and pure debauchery, as we discussed on the last two episodes, which were very heavy episodes (laughs) to to endure, because that was hard facts and kind of the hard truth of Woodstock. And, of course, the stuff that you guys have all been waiting for. So... After it was all over... Sharon Lang immediately began an onslaught of damage control, which in reality they had been doing since day two of the festival through, you know, news interviews, press conferences on site, television appearances, and this would last for months and even years to come after the festival. But while it was still happening, they were having to answer to reporters about the lack of sanitation and and toilets and water and, you know, how many people were going to the medic tent and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, after the Limp Bizkit set, when people really started tearing apart wood and the peace wall and all that. Then they had to do damage control for that. So they've already been on this press circuit protecting the image of Woodstock before it even went really bad. And now it's right. gone completely to shit. So Cher, John Cher, you know, he's kind of been our, our man in the tower, like evil, evil daddy of the, <laughs> of the two main promoters, even though we did find out that there was a third promoter, but he's kind of been off in the, the shadows. So maybe he the was real shadowy. Guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The Smoking Man.
2: Bit, yeah. Experience Ozzie Kilkenny with some experience in uh, de- having some shady dealings with you know mega popular acts. Like
1: right. U2. Right. And, you know, Lang, I mean, there, there's two schools of thought on why the media was kind of handled the way it was. Because you would see John share on TV tons and tons of times after this. Michael Lang rarely talks about Woodstock 99. And when he does, he gently glosses over the fact that there was a huge riot and tons of sexual assaults and just an overall bad time for many of those who went. Of course, a you know, time of the life for many others that went, but that, that goes for anything. You know, <laughs> There's always going to be the people that had a good time and the people that had a bad time, but the people that had a bad time at Woodstock 99 had the worst time.
2: It was a really bad time.
1: And so Lang always just glosses over that. He goes, oh, yeah, it's unfortunate what happened. But, you know, we we were trying to do a good thing, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Cher is like, I think there's just some knucklehead kids out there. Like, he's just always shooting it down. And the two schools of thought uh, on on why Lang seemed to bow out of the media circus that Woodstock 99 had become, while Cher lunged to the position to be ringmaster, is that, one, Cher was just overall a more boisterous character. Uh, He was a legendary concert and venue promoter. He had the experience and the success to back himself up under pressure. Whereas Lang, who was also a legendary promoter, lacked the experience to properly defend Woodstock Ventures as every Woodstock had its dark side. And even furthermore, right. his original concert, the Miami Pop Festival, was also a disaster. So while it had the reputation, it's kinda like um like old school punk rock or something. Like these old like when you talk about nineteen seventy seven punk rock, these shows are legendary. But if you were there, you'd be like, This sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's dirty, it I stinks, everyone's it smoking. Sounds. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Right, like, right. So it's kind of that thing where it's just been so you know galvanized and and so idealized, you know, in in history that we see Woodstock as this beautiful thing, no matter how terrible it was. But really, I mean, that's all that Lang had to rest on, whereas Cher was way more you know apt at jumping right. at the you, issue and yeah. tackling it.
2: You could say Lang kind of struck gold, and yes. of course, and not to belittle. You know the career he's had in that sense but he is kind of known for doing this one big thing woodstock whereas someone like john share is probably just honestly probably put in way more time overall and right. just putting in way more much more of like a career of like i got to do this every single day kind of thing and not necessarily having that one big event that would put you in a status right. that, you know, an actual name... I mean, how many names of concert promoters do you even know on average? And I bet that I would be willing to guess people would know Michael Lang's name. Right, just, and, just and if not, they would know Woodstock. You know what I mean?
1: Right. The, the Woodstock name was, is such a, a heavy-hitting thing. I mean, honestly, it, it's funny, because not so much now. I mean, it's... I feel like there's just a new generation of people that remember Woodstock 99, and it's that, you know people are kind of starting to... The cracks are starting to show in the uh, porcelain face of Woodstock. But... You know, besides that, the the other explanation was that Cher was was furious and so quick to cover up any wrongdoing on the part of the promoters and producers to the extent of blowing off certain happenings as just straight-up rumors or hearsay, uh, while Lang was just completely humiliated and saddened by the outcome of his biggest event yet that he just kind of seemed to fade away in the smoke. Whereas, again, you know, Ossie Kill Kelly, not there around at all. Haven't really seen any any uh clips or sound bites from him talking about the aftermath you pretty much only see share and he's usually pretty pissed um i have seen clips for instance if you go uh if you're a subscriber to our patreon thank you if you are even on the lowest tier we we put up links to you know videos that we find interesting and then you know clips that we talk about on the show and i put up a documentary i found that vh1 put out about the biggest concert disasters and when they talk about Woodstock ninety nine, which is considered to be the number one worst concert disaster on their on this particular list, uh, John Cher is like fully admitting he's like, Yeah, we messed up, you know? He's like, But mm-hmm. like what do you want us to do? Give like you know, he's like, Have water every hundred feet? We couldn't do that. He's like, It's the fucking the idiot kids that broke him, which is kind of true. But like Right. You know, well
2: it's like he, he takes he takes some blame, but he's still got plenty of blame to pass around as yes. well.
1: Yes, and so. it, and it and it only gets more bizarre with him. I mean, at one point, uh, I believe it was either either Rolling Stone or Spin, well, well, one of them that, that there was a story with John Cher, and he kind of blamed. He kind of said that there was like agent provocateurs that were like at Woodstock '99, like with a ex, like with a pure intention of just destroying it. Oh well, is, that, that's
2: a narrative we've been hearing a lot of recently. Yes, too. no, absolutely. Yeah. It's,
1: it's it's very topical, but you know and. Who's to say, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, the whole like profit stock, corporate stock, graffiti that you saw and stuff, it kind of speaks true to a group that would, you know, plan. Be like, no, we're going to fucking destroy this commercial thing. But that's not what happened. Like that's yeah. that's way too grandiose and, and would I mean, be way and, too insane.
2: And he is a little younger, you know, and so he just kind of presents himself as the more boisterous one. I would be I would be curious to know, you know, more of the exact dealings as far as who was making what decisions in the planning. And maybe that could possibly have resulted in who, why Cher was who had so much because, it. because I, I feel like we hear more about Cher talking about booking the new metal and more aggressive acts. So, I mean, maybe that was his decision because it almost seems like Lang is the, the legacy guy and you can't yeah. do it without him. And then Maybe Cher is the guy that's like, yeah, no, got to get the limp, the limp biscuits and corn. You know, this is what the kids are into kind of thing. Like, We've got to appeal to the same TV. So I, maybe he, maybe I it's agree. more of his skin in it. And that's why he's because yeah, a lot I of totally the criticism agree. was about the planning. And then it was about the aggression of certain acts.
1: Yes. And I, I feel like, you know, maybe it was a thing where John Cher was like, oh, well, Like, let's get the Woodstock guy. Let's do a Woodstock. You know, I mean, I don't know who presented the idea to whom. But, yeah, I mean, from everything I've read, John Cher really did seem to have more of a a hands-on kind of deal with it. Whereas, you know, Lang is trying to get kid stock organized in the parking lot, you know, (laughs) and and just walking around and talking about the peace wall and riding around in a golf cart. Whereas Cher is, like, having to fucking answer for shit. And we have uh, some pretty uh, interesting, juicy quotes from Cher that we'll get to.
2: Right, but and, as, and actually, as, I do. Yeah, sorry. No, no, there was one no go ahead. Other, yeah, one other thing is just I was reading about this too, and again, maybe just speaks to more share in terms of just someone who's day in day out got to do this thing, as opposed to a legacy protecting type of entity. But there's this magazine, Polestar Magazine, that is kind of a music industry uh, magazine, and I saw this thing where in the year two thousand. Polestar magazine named John Cher as promoter of the year what? so I mean this is this is you know less than a year after Woodstock and that disaster and he's still kind of getting awards for it so again he had his the success his tenacity. to back it up yeah. mm-hmm. he
1: had a long career filled and filled with you know, very successful ventures and concerts and you know music moments. Whereas you know, Lang did too, but it's because it's Woodstock. So you know, if you have yeah. one Woodstock, that's worth thirty years of everything right. else. Right. And and that's that's kind of the 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 deal. But as one could imagine, anyone involved with Woodstock '99 was approached for interviews or insights into what really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have. You know, we've compiled here some of our favorite quotes that we've dug up from newspapers, magazines, and news clips. A lot of them are from artists. You know, the, the big thing, of course, was that, you know, some people say the music was to blame and the artist's choice, and then others say it was the way it was run. We know it's just like a perfect gumbo of all this stuff. But uh, Cheryl Crow, who, you know, she had a, a set on the first day. She was the, the queen of day one. As we know, each day had, had their own queen. She was not happy with Woodstock 99 at all. So uh, we, have, we have a couple juicy ones from her. She said, I don't know if these kids haven't been raised to have pride in themselves, but I've just never seen that kind of anger in an audience. I think the implications of it are more than it just being about kids coming together for the weekend for a rock show. I think it's how they feel about their situation. And my question is what made them so mad? I just thought it very demoralizing. I would absolutely not play Woodstock again. Then, when she left the festival, she returned home and tuned in to pay-per-view to watch the rest of it. And she had this to say about what she saw. The pay-per-view cameras were on the naked woman three-fourths of the time and only showing music one-fourth of the time. I've never watched TV and saw so many women completely nude dancing in front of the camera. There were topless girls on guys' shoulders who were constantly getting groped. These kids were out of control. I also had a sense of conflicting feelings. You had these women who were being groped, and they were doing nothing to stop it. And you had women, porn shaved, dancing for the cameras. The message that was coming across in the music was self-loathing, and that's what the kids were there to hear. And I felt like I was a fish out of water. From watching on TV, I kept thinking there had to be deaths and rapes. And if there were only four, that's incredible. When she says only four, she's, of course, referencing the four... You know, re- reported rapes by that time, you know, of mm-hmm. course, there'd be a, a yep. total of eight that we talked about, yeah. from what mm-hmm. we've seen. But four were and actually, you know, the very, very intense, heavy duty life altering crimes. Uh, she also exclaimed how awful she felt. About her set and how it was all due to the crowd. She said, Within the second song, I thought about walking off. I've never been in a situation where people were throwing mud and fecal matter from the latrines at the stage. It was happening to everybody, not just me. People were out there just flipping me off. I thought, Let me get off this stage so these kids can see DMX and Offspring. But they treated them the same way. Uh, by the way, folks, yeah. pay-per-view, if you were gonna order Woodstock ninety nine on pay-per-view, is about thirty dollars a day, twenty nine ninety five, or you could get the whole weekend for fifty-nine ninety-five, just in case you were wondering what Cheryl Crow paid to watch the concert that she had just played.
2: <laughs> That's really expensive. <laughs> I mean, gosh, I wouldn't do that now for something like for a year.
1: Dude, well, get ready because like you're gonna start paying. For- if you buy a ticket for a concert, uh, the way things are going, it, you're just gonna be watching it at home.
2: Oh no, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I get that, I get that, but still, just thirty bucks a day. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, fecal matter—that is like a funny phrase that we don't really hear too often.
1: Yeah, especially anymore. out of Cheryl Crow's Fe- mouth.
2: Yeah. Fecal. But matter. you know, she has she has a lot. And porn shaved. I thought that that was a funny... yeah, porn shaved. I mean, that's an interesting I guess ever. I think we all know what she means. It's just uh, hadn't thought of it. Free. Yeah, she in put it in way. my head though. Yeah. Like I'm not seeing <laughs> it
1: like in like a sexual porn way. I'm just like textbook but, well, vagina.
2: It's when you think of the like the the naked models on the top of the truck. Yeah. Like, oh, that's definitely yeah, who like she was the, talking about. The Girls about. gone li- wild, like Playboy look. Yeah, and that's that's that for sure who she was talking about. At the time.
1: Uh, If you guys remember during Guster, uh, when we were talking about Guster, at the end, there's like what we found out, I believe, was a a radio station. And they had, you know, we we were making jokes. We thought it was a food stand. We thought it was this. We thought it was that. But it was a radio station. And they had hired strippers, basically, to get up on top and just get naked and dance. And that kind of influenced other women to get up there and get naked and dance. And you can kind of tell who the hired guns were and and who who the hired guns weren't. But that's what Sheryl Crow was talking about. Uh, now we have uh, Kid Rock uh, parks, if you will.
2: Ooh. Kid Rock. All right. So uh, in his response to the allegations of sexual assaults at Woodstock 99, these guys just don't always show the kind of respect they should. The ladies will show their breasts in keeping with the free spirit of our shows, and the guys will get out of control and start grabbing them, which is not at all cool. I've started having to tell them from the stage, "Don't grab the chicks." If a girl wants to walk around naked, she should be able to do so without some idiot treating her like a rag.
1: Don't grab the chicks. Hey, man, (laughs) don't grab the chicks.
2: So, I mean, Kid Rock said this. Yes. I guess he said it. (laughs) I guess he's, yeah, well, you know. I don't know, is this. You can be not
1: the coolest dude uh, and still, you know, have a glimmer of hope of not being a total piece of shit like in, in you, you know. But you know that's also 1999. He had a long time to grow. He was a, he was a new <laughs> new face on the scene. But yeah, right. so you know, he, but and he's saying that yeah, even at his concerts, like he would you know besides Woodstock, he would see stuff like that going on and would address it. But I gotta say, uh, when we were watching his set, uh, which was a Legends episode, uh, didn't really I didn't really hear him say "Don't grab the chicks too much." No, <laughs> I didn't really hear him <laughs> say that,
2: but I did hear him uh, tell. Tell that, that bitch that he put his balls in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I do remember he had a song about having sex with someone and then telling everyone he knew about it.
1: Yes. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so I remember him saying that Monica Lewinsky was a hoe.
2: Yeah. I don't remember him so, saying don't grab the chick. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's why I'm just like, this <laughs> quote is, like, like okay, well, like, apparently he said that. Oh individual.
1: my God! All right. Well, now we got one of an, another favorite, Scott Stapp, the singer of Creed. He said, in probably a very Scott Stapp kind of like gazing off into I'm the embarrassed. distance way. But yeah, he's like, I'm embarrassed for my generation that happened. We've become a barbaric society, and the violence was so unnecessary, and it made no sense at all. It's sad to think that people had to ruin the festival for others. But you know, it's a little simple, a little yeah. quote there, I but. Like some-
2: some Creed lyrics.
1: He, he's, you know. yeah, <laughs> yes, simple and effective, just like Creed lyrics. Yeah. Uh, then the next one, though, and, and this is from a band that, yes, we were particularly harsh on. And it was so funny because I was driving the other day and some Everclear came on the radio and I was like bopping along. And I was like, God damn it. Like, you you like Everclear. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have a, a, a quote here from Art Alexicus from Everclear.
2: Okay. Do I think anyone spurred on the rapes? Absolutely not. I didn't see anyone from any band trying to get anyone violent. Did I see anyone say anything to the point of stepping over the line? Absolutely not. If they did, I'd be ripping their throats out, literally and figuratively. He went on to say, When you get that many people out in the sun, pissed off, no sunscreen, burn badly, paying $4 for a bottle of water, there's still no reason to loot. People wanted to be lazy, and you get that mob rules mentality when you get together people who don't want to think.
1: you will rip your throat out.
2: Hmm. So it, I mean, that's that's a there's a lot going on in that quote. I mean, I guess I'm just the first line. Do I think anyone spurred on the race? I mean, I guess he's referring to. I mean, a, yeah, like, like a, a mob it, mentality. It, you know, just yeah, saying the that the, was the, the environment itself was was shitty, but then it's kind of that thing where, as we've noticed, it's putting the blame on the organizers because there did end up being sort of the organizers and the corporate greed versus the bands and their message. And Right. So, and I mean, I think we can safely say that maybe a combination of those things contributed to it, um, but this is, you know, it comes off a bit as, you know, an artist defending himself so and, you know, blaming blaming the organizers a bit for it
1: well and i Um, feel like i mean you know the artists especially the more aggressive bands i mean not like everclear had any you know anything to worry about in on this front but the artists were getting you know a lot of blame especially bands like limp Bizkit or corn or what have you and you know it's the same as the promoters you know they didn't want the blame the artists didn't want the blame so they're gonna go back and forth the crowd is gonna probably just absolutely just say it was the promoters and the organizers because they're the ones Mm -hmm. that had to deal with it but you know it's like a case in point argument for the music definitely playing a part in it but not necessarily being responsible as we saw how nasty things were getting but when you see Alanis Morissette play the crowd you know we do know that there is some some bad things that happened, especially to women in that crowd. But that's because a lot of the women were, you know, flooding the stage. So there was more women at Atlantis Morset than there had been for any other act that day, which unfortunately led to more assaults than you would expect. But overall, the crowd wasn't tearing the place apart or anything like that. It was, you know, they're watching this shit, you know, they're watching the music, they're in the sun, but then limb comes on right afterwards and the entire place fucking tears apart you know and explodes right. so it's right. like it's it you know it's like a soundtrack it's like the, all this bad shit was already happening it's just you know if you put on some music to get pumped to you're gonna pump right. the people up right and that's just yeah, really I how it that, goes
2: yeah I think that that's an important distinction because again you know it's not saying that some band is, you know, because that's been a really long, you know, conversation with Columbine and Satanism and all these different, you know, throughout music history. The kids aren't all right. Yeah. Right. Right. And saying that it's, you know, that this is, this is music that's saying literally we want you to commit crime, like violent sexual (laughs) crime type thing. No, that's not the message, but maybe I guess what it's not, it's also not these promoters that are saying, you know, everything we're doing is we're hoping that this will happen too, or that we're we're going to be so nefarious. But so maybe what I mean is that sometimes this, if the music, if this lineup, because again we're so deep into this Woodstock thing. But when whenever right. you just casually mention Woodstock '99 to someone, they talk about the the lineup and how fucking absurd it is of all these new metal bands. So while it's not saying that it's their fault, but there's it's reflective of enough of a society to. Be part of this thing, right? Exactly. So it's it's some sort of reflection of society.
1: Absolutely, and society, you know, are doing like you know I, back then there was you know we talked about this way back on episode one you know the whole decade of the nineties it was coming out of you know the super clean glamour and glitz of the 80s and you have grunge then of course the hero of grunge dies and then you have all these crazy things happening there's distrust with the government and you have waco and oklahoma city bombing and then you know these huge celebrity iconic deaths like the death of tupac and biggie and all these things are, are, are happening and it's just like you know these great cultural landmarks are being hit and then destroyed instantly you know in, in music and you know society as a whole and then there's all these awful crimes of course you know in 1999, just a couple months before Woodstock, there was the Columbine shooting, which changed the way that we talked. You know, it's almost right. Uh, you know that, that that's just a, a word that is universally known now as a tragedy and it's and it was it was about kids and music and video games and media was all part of that explanation you know people couldn't imagine why these kids would do that and it's kind of like at Woodstock 99 why would these kids do that it's because they're fucking unhappy you know and yeah that was reflective in a lot of the music you know that that was around at the time
2: yeah and I mean again having the the promote you know having the four dollar water is not that's that's not contributing anything good to it it, i mean it is contributing negativity to this equation
1: right it gives you a real reason to be pissed off that's right in front of you that you can tear down you know you can't tear down mom and dad you can't tear down society but you can definitely tear down a vending booth that you feel ripped you off when you're really fucking thirsty and people are passing out left and right you know yeah it's just interesting because you
2: know you say sometimes it is that you, you say well music is this thing that you know it changes and it can make your life so much better and you know we we will speak endlessly of the positive influence of music but you have to be careful because you don't want to say hey Marilyn Manson caused Columbine but there is something to be said about the negative influence of music
1: right that, you know that it's can happen. Not, I,
2: and i know that's like maybe not a popular opinion well and there's
1: but. you know if there's no intention you like you know with with this kind of music, or any, like, really dark kind of music. I mean, of course, there's super, super extreme stuff, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about on a mainstream platform here. But, you know, to an impressionable kid who doesn't have anyone to tell him otherwise, you know, you can definitely misconstrue a message, you know what I mean? And Yeah,
2: I mean, for it, like, I mean, Limp Bizkit made me think that I could be good at skateboarding. They also made me feel like I could break stuff
1: when I'm upset. Yeah, it made me me
2: try to do really shitty graffiti. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: But they don't. Yeah, but that's not I grew out of those things. Yeah, it wasn't any worse than that. But, you
2: know, well, it's just something to think
1: about. Yeah. I mean, again, goddamn art alexicus. Well said, my friend. Now, this next quote, not as uh, eloquent as the art alexicus of Everclear quote. This is Dean Roland of Collective Soul. And they actually remember they played at Woodstock 94 as well. Same with Cheryl Crow. So this is their second Woodstock. Dean Roland said. It seemed more laid back this year and more organized internally. We really enjoyed it. The audience was way more attentive than I thought they'd be. We were really pleased with the audience. I will say I've never seen quite that many breasts. We started calling it breakfast. Ooh. Fucking god. <laughs> so, you know, there is it Woodstock as we've said from the start. It really is what you make of it. <laughs> you know, if you want to, you know, have the kind of more artistic, more introspective view of it, you know, with a perspective from the stage, you could go the Sheryl Crow or Alexius route, or you could call tits breakfast. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the dude uh, well, this, this, this
2: quote gives me the impression that they really, I mean, I feel that most of the people were backstage, but I feel like they were just <laughs> backstage getting their hair done until the very second they had to go on. Yes. And then they, they went right, it kind of has this removed opinion that only someone who is experiencing all of the really nice amenities of Woodstock would think that it was kind of nice.
1: Right. E- exactly. A little pampered uh, maybe. And actually th- this is kind of, th- this is kind of evenly timed here. I didn't even notice I, I did this, but the next quote is from Sully Erna of Godsmack. So you had collective soul play and then Godsmack played right after them on the same stage. So we're kind of sticking right. to the lineup for these two here. But yeah, this is uh, from Sully Erna of Godsmack.
2: All right. So here's Sully. We felt a very positive intensity. The audience was aggressive, but not out to harm anyone. People better not blame it on the music. I think it's very weak what the people did. It's a shame that people don't know how to have a good time and potty anymore without tearing stuff (laughs) down. I saw some interviews on TV where people were saying they had lousy campsites and were starved for water and that they're sharing $5 for a hot dog. It seems like tension was just building up and just exploding towards the end of the weekend. But if you're having such a bad time, just leave, go home, take a shower. There's no reason to be destructive.
1: Yeah, just go home, and take a shower. You know, people just fucking... don't know how to
2: party anymore.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just like looking around, like, God ah, damn, like, what happened to the party partying the way we used to party? You know? But
2: that's yeah. That, I just that like, seems like where like he says, you know, people quick better quick not
1: quick. blame it on the music because he just yeah, was, right. like he's just like, dude, like. We're fucking God's right. right. We didn't see fucking any of that shit going down. Like fucking like, well, and actually, you know, there's we we have a couple more quotes that are going to go a little bit deeper into that. But there is something to be said again about not blaming it on the music, especially because the third day was the most mellow day of all and the headlining act was the red hot chili peppers so you know besides the fact that they played fire when people were starting fires that's really the only thing you could say that they did to maybe instigate anything even though again that wasn't necessarily intentional they would have played that song anyways but it's it's not the music and at least at the very least it's not just the music is the right that we're trying to make and again
2: and that's not and yeah to what i was saying earlier it's you know i mean because all i've listened to songs of you know all sorts of subject matter and it can be pretty vile fucked up despicable shit and right. <laughs> you know i'm i don't know some like insane like black metal death metal lyrics that right are really really messed up and it's like yeah do it that's what you want to write about you know that i that's cool so uh i guess it's just that i think that there was just especially at this moment there's like a really heightened you know from all the artists like and i like tom morello too just people it's it's can be really easy to say that the music caused it where you're like no the music can be a reflection of negativity but like you are not just like sitting and listening to this one album and it's like kill your parents kind of thing. You know? Which
1: is what my dad thought every fucking album I wanted when I was a kid was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, no, it's not like, going to be that Literally, he would say, is this like, going to say like kill your parents and stab your dog with a like, fork. Like, fork. Like, fork? Literally, what he would say over and over and over. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Right. You know, I mentioned so that. Music, I, I mean,
2: music can, ha- yeah, music can influence you, but you, it's not going to, you can't have it that simple, especially given all the other elements that we're Right.
1: And, yeah. you know, again, there was the artist uh, Push Monkey who played on the Emerging Artist stage, and he said it really good, too. You know, we, we mentioned this in another episode where he's like, dude, we just played at Ozfest, where all the bands are the gnarliest bands in the world, and this right. didn't happen. You know, so there you go, case in point. Um, th- this person, is, they were just listed in the in Billboard magazine as an unidentified artist manager. They didn't want to give their name, but their quote was so good that even though we didn't have the name, I wanted to include it. He said, If you got cops saying that that kind of behavior is okay, pretty soon we're base animals. You throw alcohol and drugs on top of that, you've got a fucking disaster. Dude, it's Lord of the Flies. It's a BF Skinner experiment in survival of the fittest. Chicks were just getting fucking thrashed. I've never seen a situation where girls should be afraid. It was just gnarly. Can you imagine being a fucking girl and all that? Unfucking believable Spoken like a true artist manager, like showbiz right. guy, yeah, <laughs> unfucking yeah. believable. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, just you know, can you imagine being a girl in that? Like you know, and obviously you know, just the context clues and the way that this guy talks, you can tell he's kind of a, a a burly, kind of manly, kind of maybe machismo type dude. And for someone that with that kind of mentality, look out in the crowd and be like, "Fuck!" Can you imagine being a girl in that? Like it really. Kind of lends credence to the terrifying nature of the whole festival, really. Right. Um, But that leads us to uh, an attendee, Karen Marcello. She was uh, quoted in the Rome Sentinel. She was 22 years old. She said that guys in general were getting real pushy to girls who were alone. I was afraid to leave my cluster of friends for more than a few minutes at a time. So you couldn't even go take a piss and, like, meet up at, you know, the fucking hot dog stand without worrying that something was going to happen to you, you know? And what we did learn was that, yeah, people were getting pulled into porta-potties and, and being assaulted, and that's fucking absolutely terrifying. So, you know, just that kind of offhanded, you know, because I'm sure that many, many, many of the girls there had could have had a quote almost identical to that, but it just... It's just nice to have one for real, you know, that we have a name to to put to it. And yeah, more, you know, afraid to leave my cluster of friends for more than a few minutes at a time. I mean, even for a song, you didn't want to be separate from your group.
2: Right. I I mean, I think I mean, another thing is that how say when you do again, just to get the when you're talking about, you know, music influencing people to do bad things. You know, you you think of uh, punk or metal or hip hop like those genres often. You know, kind of elicit that kind of criticism for it. Uh, but again, this is this is a you know a mainstream festival. You know, this is Woodstock, and when you look at when you look at the totality of the bands playing, I mean, this is like a hugely like mainstream act. And when you when you're looking oh, at the images of the the attendees, I mean, this is pretty close to like your nor quote unquote quote unquote like normal person. So. Keep that in mind in considering with what has all gone down and all the bad shit that transpired. You know, when it's like, you no, know, this isn't like some motorcycle gang or whatever image stereotypical right. image. Like this, <laughs> this is like your son or whatever. Like this is your your high school buddy, spring break kind of. Yeah. These are people that are all going to go to college and probably be like, oh, whatever, that was fun. Fuck. So, so yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it just gets it it just gets gnarly and, and dark and sad and i mean that's what the last episode was all about kind of just the the real yeah kind of totality of the of the carnage and and terrible things that were happening but again you know woodstock peace love and music that is the one thing to remember that it's supposed to represent mm-hmm. and instead you get looting rape and fire and it's just a complete you know 180 complete fucking surprise to most people that went but you know again it was a largely mounting thing i uh, guess we have-
2: if it feels as simple as uh, say Firefest where it's like well the guy just like was created you know like when you look at the yeah, fire ripped Fest everyone thing, off yeah yeah you knew it was gonna be a disaster and it's pretty simple when you watch the documentary how this is gonna be but not right. so much with woodstock
1: Right, yeah. There's just too many moving pieces. You know what I mean. Yeah. And 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 it's the fact that it happened like during all this shit that we're talking about. The the concert is happening. <laughs> you know what right. I mean. So like it seems like there's like the concert part and then the other part, but it's all one big thing occurring at once. Um, and and this kind of I, I like this coming up here uh peter mensch he was the co-manager of metallica and he managed the bruce hornsby group and he managed the red hot chili peppers so this guy is the manager of two of the headlining acts of the festival and uh one of my personal favorites the bruce hornsby group Uh, amazing amazing piano but it's it's just wild that this guy you know these are two heavy duty bands under his belt and what he said about the whole thing, he said, I watched a little bit of Limp Bizkit and Rage Against the Machine, and it was mostly guys. There were a few women there. I didn't have any concerns. I didn't feel that in any way, shape, or form that people in front of the stage were being overcrowded. Nothing in the least struck me as being dangerous. Uh, that's crazy, because those crowds, anyone can see, even from the comfort of your own home. It's, like, almost uncomfortable. Uh, mm mm-hmm. In regards to the fires breaking out on Sunday evening, he told the press that we had left the building. The other stuff, like the looting and fires, just doesn't make any sense to me. If after a show of Jewel, Creed, and Red Hot Chili Peppers, people decide to break things, how can you say it's the music? Fucking exactly, Mr. Mensch. Right. That's, That's the point we're trying to make. You can't say it's the music when the worst, most memorable, notorious things that happened happened after Jewel, Creed, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. True. It's just not that yeah. kind of music. It's the culture. It's it's the culture. It's the culture
2: the Woodstock culture. It's the yeah. whole thing. It's, it's yeah. I it's mean the again, whole yeah, thing. there's there's been plenty of concerts for, uh you know, most of the concerts that these bands do, you know, things don't happen like that, you know.
1: Exactly. We also have a pretty decent chunk of information from Our man in the tower, John Sher. It took me a long time to kind of lock in which quotes I wanted to use from him because there's so many and there's so many sound clips. And he's been interviewed. Again, he was the mouthpiece of Woodstock 99 Damage Control. So he's the one that's in all this stuff. But, you know, there's either quotes of his that are very short, that are super good or really long, that are really bad. (laughs) So I kind of had to like go through and and sift through. But I think I found the ones that are most kind of relevant to the overall Why did things happen the way that they did? So John Scher, co-promoter, said, We're certainly very disturbed to have heard the information about the fire department turning back and not putting out the initial fires on Sunday, for reasons we still don't understand. If the fire department had the opportunity to put these fires out, it may have solved a lot of problems. Based on the information that has come out, we'd like to know their reasonings. No, that's just straight up him saying, and we talked about this a little bit, that the fire trucks were kept from going in because, A, they said that the fires would just burn out themselves not to worry about it. Also, there's you know rumors and, and theories that they stopped the trucks from coming in because they didn't want everyone to panic and, and run out. And then there's other theories where they, the fire department just showed up late. They're just like fuck it. They couldn't get in. There's too many people, you know. And people were people were climbing up on the fire trucks when they're driving through and getting all unruly because the fire trucks came. The police and like the riot squads they didn't until much later, until about an hour after all this, right uh, after the fire started. But I love that he's you know already placing the blame on a, a fucking fire department.
2: Yeah, and I mean if and if that decision, you know, that could have been a decision possibly. On on share as far as uh, no, it's going to burn himself out, or you know yeah, maybe I, maybe I, hold back because you don't want to alarm. I mean, I guess if it's if it's a decision about you know people not wanting them to freak out, that sounds like a you know a promoter's decision. You right. Know? But if it's right, the fire yeah. department saying I, it's going to burn you know out, I, I mean that's seems... I bet they
1: didn't let them in. I, I I bet they said it wasn't that big of a deal and they and they kept the firefighters from coming in just to yeah. not have that. On their record, you know. Uh, But one of the main criticisms of the festival was that the lineup included so many heavy or aggressive bands. And Sharon Lang always maintained that the lineup reflected who they thought young people would want to see the most, and it was not a conscious effort to create a rowdy or dangerous environment. When asked about Saturday's lineup, Cher said, and now this is good, Cher said, I got a little too hung up, too excited about what I'm calling the Battle of the Bands. In hindsight, I did take into account that they'd play off each other, but I didn't take into account how that would affect the audience. So he's like, yeah, the bands are going to amp each other up because they're all going to try and outdo one another. But he's like, but I didn't realize that the people were going to get more and more stoked. It's like, you fucking idiot. But, yeah. <laughs> like, but so, so there's that. And it's well documented that the eye of the storm, in most people's opinions, was the notorious Limp Bizkit set, particularly when they played their song Break Stuff. When Cher was asked about this set, he told Billboard magazine this. I wasn't there when people started tearing stuff down. I got called on the radio, and by the time I got back, it was resolved. Some wayward fans started to dismantle some of the wooden barricades that surrounded the mixing position, and it scared the technician. And for some reason I'm still not clear on, he decided to turn off the PA. By the time I got there, the PA was up, and they were playing again. It was probably off for a minute or so, but it was off at a crucial time. So that <laughs> explains the, the big sound flub that Limb Biscuit had when Fred Durst right. couldn't hear himself. And he says, what's going on with the mic? The fucking mic's right. not working. And they can't hear each other and he can't, you know, hear anything. And he's asking the crowd, can you hear me? No, no. It's because, yeah, when the crowd started tearing apart what we call the Alamo, because it had that sign that said the right. Alamo. It was the mixing tower within the middle of the East Stage crowd. The guy was just like, fuck this. And just like turned, like pulled the plug, basically. To stop the music to hoping that it would calm everyone down. But really it just made everyone pissed.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean you I guess you, in those situations you want to try and get the singer in on it to try and calm people down. Like what was that really infamous Pearl Jam concert where people got trampled and you know oh, they yeah. had to well, they or tried the to who get,
1: or fucking everything else. Right.
2: Yeah. Well I just remember reading about the Pearl Jam where you know Eddie Vedder, they got they got everyone in the band to like get on the microphones and be like, hey please take some steps back. You know right if, if you can act if you can get the people that they're there to see involved in it you know but with, well and they with had Fiscuit, you know, it's like you're like well wh- why the fuck is my mic not working and you're seeing it well morphed. no, remember he, he
1: also did he also did say because the guy came up and talked to him and he said that they want me to tell you guys to mellow out and he's like i don't want you oh, to right. mellow out but right. i don't want you guys <laughs> yeah. to hurt each other right so right. it's basically like no like keep breaking shit because that's not hurting each other like that's that's how those kids took it because they're fucking barbaric idiots Right, but, but you, I, I but, like those, I yeah. like those quotes, and I like that we finally found out the mystery of at least one technical right. difficulty.
2: There's definitely a good ten minutes of that concert removed from the the pay per view because I did I found a like a fan shot clip of the Biscuit concert, and that whole time when he's trying to crowd surf on the plywood, it takes yeah. like ten minutes, <laughs> and it's yeah, just like, it's
1: not a quick deal no. yeah
2: it's so dumb um but also i mean classic share again like promoter knowing his liability so even in this quote just saying i wasn't there when this happened and the pa right. turned off i don't know why that you know it's reasons very i don't political. know yeah, yeah the really... fire
1: department for reasons unknown to me the pa guy for reasons right. i still don't understand it's like yeah it's like if he was in control of the fire hoses and the pa and everything it would have gone just fine but for reasons he doesn't understand the people that, yeah it's out of yeah. control and just but so i also displacement
2: he, he did also call Fred Durst. Just, I think the quote was that idiot frontman from Limp Bizkiters, that idiot singer. Oh so, <laughs> my god!
1: And it's like for what, like whatever. But no, yeah, we we know that Cher uh, really dropped the ball on this one. Sharon Lang really really yeah. flubbed up. I I, I, I want to include Kilkenny when I start talking about the the things. But again, he's the smoking man. He's just kind of there. <laughs> you sure, know, don't, but don't not know. not
2: making it better. <laughs>
1: Right, not making it better. Yeah, surely not Probably making it like better. Probably like telling
2: him, how to. hey, this is how we can make more money, cut more corners, you know?
1: Ex- yes, I- exactly. Um, now this next bit, where we're, we're going to play a sample now. We might have played this on the show before. We definitely showed it at our live event. Uh, for those of you that went, thank you. And for those of you that would like to see it, we put the video up on our Patreon of us doing the whole like 90-minute show that that we do and we and we showed this clip but we're gonna play it for you now. This is at the VMAs, the the Beastie Boys were winning I, I it was either a a like a lifetime achievement award, like or it was just a, an award for, for best video of the year. I, I, I I'm not sure it doesn't have what they're <laughs> they're winning when they come up. It just kinda of cuts to the chase. But Adam Horowitz, aka Ad Rock, he took the the time and kind of took the the opportunity with that many people there especially in the industry and everyone watching at home to address some of the problems at woodstock 99 and i thought it was kind of a cool thing because they were not involved in any way with woodstock and he took it upon himself as one of the biggest you know stars in music to say something about it
0: i read in the news and heard from my friends all about the sexual assaults and the rapes that went down at Woodstock, 99 and made me feel really sad and angry Okay? (laughs) Are you all there? Okay You all remember that? Woodstock? What happened? Well I was thinking, why should I just feel mad about it and not do anything about it? And I think we can do something about it as musicians Now I'm talking to all the musicians here Thank you, Johnny boss. All the musicians here, I think we can talk to the promoters and make sure that they're doing something about the safety of all the girls and the women that come to our shows. I think we can talk and work with the security people to make sure they know and understand about sexual harassment and rape and they know how to handle these situations. You know what I'm saying? Respectfully. Anyways, I want to dedicate this award to everybody out there that's down to make change happen. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I I think that's fucking some stand-up shit. And the Beastie Boys will always be some of the coolest motherfuckers on the planet to me. So (laughs) there's that.
2: Totally. Yeah, love the Beastie Boys.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. And we just have one more here. Uh, Parks, why, why don't you go ahead and, and, and tackle this one? This, this one we, we include in our live event, too, because we feel like it just kind of it, it's a perfect kind of final thought. It's not our final thought, but it, it really does kind of sum everything up pretty nicely.
2: Yeah. Uh, Steve Berlin from Los Lobos. Uh, this is the first generation that's been branded their whole lives. They've been identified as a market opportunity since they first took their first breath and when you take those people and tell them this is going to be culturally and historically important and it turns out to be another commercial i'd probably get pretty pissed off too
1: genius so really really well said possibly the most well said sum up quote from any artist that played
2: yeah and it's i mean god it's just crazy to think about where we are now where yeah i mean essentially that I mean, because that's just, I think, and we've probably talked about this at some point, but just, I just even remember it in the nineties and in the late two thousands, there really was much more of this sense of, Oh, you're selling out. And like that, just that word kind of, I feel right. like it really like a sellout was really this pretty loaded insult, like sellout or poser or just, yeah. Like if, if you were, were in like a rock band and you did a
1: Pepsi commercial, you were like a shithead. Yeah. But you know what happened? And I, I truly believe this, uh, you know, hip hop and rap became the biggest you know genres of music shortly after after that so you're talking early 2000s when like boom huge explosion completely dominating the the charts still to this day and what one thing that hip hop and, and rap uh, especially you know kind of more recent rap really has always embraced is this like money grabbery fucking you know getting rich look at all this shit I have like throwing out brand Mm -hmm. names and a lot of that you know you you could say came from you know especially back in the day like in the you know late 80s early 90s where these you know rappers are coming from you know poor neighborhoods and stuff and now they finally have money you know so of course they're going to get all the finer things and and embrace that and their communities are going to look up to them as like wow that's something to get whereas you know you have like say a a grunge right and if Mm -hmm. you know Kurt Cobain he's like humiliated to be in a limo you know, right, it's right. like this kind of difference. And I feel like as a culture, we just like st- started to embrace that. kind of. I mean, I guess also
2: it. just maybe, you know, with as far as, you know, Napster and just the way digital music became. So, you know, that did take a huge hit to the industry and the industry, you know, didn't know how to respond to that. And right. So and everyone does,
1: wanted to sell out. Yeah. Right.
2: So then, I mean, and then at that point, I mean, there's a lot more of a justification where it's like, yeah, I mean, I might have to do this car commercial because I can't sell fucking records if you know you can get them for free anyway Um, right but again but those those elements still you know it goes into what Steve Berlin from Los Lobos is saying as far as just thinking about it now where everything really there there are so many more commercials that we and branding is just so much more a part of our lives so maybe it's almost like we've gotten used to it
1: I think we have. I mean, even activism, dude. Yeah, like like heavy issues are completely corporatized, you know. Now, and it's and it's and it's a whole thing, and we just have accepted it, and it's and it's become part of the thing. And now it's like you get mad if you know McDonald's doesn't, you know change the golden arches to like a rainbow for a month or, or what have you. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like we we've completely commercialized everything and there was still a glimmer of hope that you can't buy everything and you can't buy people in nineteen ninety nine. And right. this was maybe the final stand against that. Whereas now, you know, if you look at the way festivals are they're well oiled machines and everyone's expecting to pay upwards of four to five hundred dollars just for a ticket without batting an eye. And right. You know that that's what they want. They want to go to the you know Red Bull energy tent and <laughs> fucking like all that shit. You know what right. I mean. Whereas back then it didn't exist like that. So the idea of having a Pepsi logo right next to the Woodstock bird on a cup really rubbed people the wrong way. Whereas now that's just commonplace.
2: Right. And and I mean, you know, optimistically, it's I I'm agreeing with what he's saying. And it you know it's saying that this is kind of this new era this new generation people who are who are completely branded their entire lives but then also cynically pessimistically it's like well woodstock kind of helped create that absolutely you know in this in the 60s and like this idea of the the hippie and like i mean really that stuff was existing then too because this whole concept of a hippie really became like a highly marketable concept yeah and don't it, get know, it twisted do- yeah because you know, really by you know when you really look at the hippie movement and by the early 70s, I mean, you've got half people are Jesus freaks, half of them are, like, addicted to heroin. Right. And then, <laughs> and then a lot of the ideas aren't even being, like, you know, like all no, this, like, free love stuff. It doesn't really, like, even yeah, apply to women. Yeah, free love became like swingers women parties. are, like, still, like, subordinates in a lot of, like, hippie cultures. so... Yeah, I mean, again, right. that's and that's getting the, a little off off subject the, there. But well,
1: the thing to remember, like I, I feel like all in all, that keeps it like full circle with this kind of like commercial greed aspect of the whole thing is it's important to remember that the original Woodstock was thrown with the intention of making a shitload of money. It just right. didn't, and right. that's where the legend of it being this great free loving fucking you know, hippy-dippy, everyone come and have a good time and, you know, help each other out and pass down the big bag of granola down the line and make sure you're taking care of your brothers and sisters. That just happened because everyone was fucking, you know, <laughs> there was no resources. It was a disaster. Right. They had to help each other or they would fucking die. And, right. you know, if they if they could have kicked everyone out like that showed up early and made them walk through the ticket gate and paid for a ticket, they fucking would have. They would have you know done it, I mean?
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess just the the high school, the, the younger more idealistic part of me, you know, the, the first time I ever watched Woodstock movie, you know, I, there's part of me that wants to, you know, hold on to that and think, oh, well, I, definitely. you definitely, know, this be- beautiful thing. But then now looking at here we are in 2020 and, you know, after all this and it's just to think that even this shit that's going on, all this big train wreck of Woodstock '99, like that isn't even like a drop in the bucket to like the crazy shit that happens, you know, routinely. Right in the last ten, last four years, two years, one year, whatever.
1: Yeah, so. no, it's it, it's cr- This is Woodstock it, like '99 is more relevant than ever, but, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in my opinion. It's just like you know, it's just a powder keg. But that kind of, I mean, I, I feel like that does it. That's that's our kind of sum up of of the the media fallout. I mean, we've been talking about these kinds of things throughout this entire series. Um, next episode though, is going to kind of be an almost, almost sad to say a series yeah. finale uh, right, of right. sorts. You know, we, we might Final do more thoughts. interviews here and there popping up. Um, we're definitely going to be posting the first few episodes of our new show through this channel. Um, you know, just to remind you to start listening on the other. Well, once we get all that started, we'll, we'll be announcing all that to you guys. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook for, for all that info. Um, and, yeah, next episode is going to be kind of light. We're going to do the Woodstock 99 Awards. We'll give our final thoughts. We have a quote that we've been saving uh, from the mystery tape, our, our prized possession of Woodstock 99 memorabilia. We, we've been saving mm-hmm. a clip from that from the very, very start. When we started this thing, we knew that we were going to play this one particular clip on our last episode, so you'll be hearing that uh, next time on Podcast 99. Make sure... For exclusive content like set reviews, research materials, bonus episodes, things of that nature, you subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash culturedumps. really helps us out, and we appreciate it a lot. Also, if you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock 99, please contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast99. I'm Ryan Licton. I've been joined by Parks Miller It's been Woodstock 99.